The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When John the Baptist heard in prison of the works of the Christ, he sent his disciples to Jesus with this question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Jesus said to them in reply, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. As they were going off, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Those who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. Then why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Rejoice and be glad. Again, I say rejoice. The Lord is near. Well, that Mother Church invites us to light our third candle in the Advent wreath, the rose-colored candle, to don our rose-colored vestments and to ensure that indeed our hearts are lifted up in a greater joy as the nearness of Christ increases. He is soon to come to us. To help us to continue in our preparations for that coming, Mother Church gives us today the person of John the Baptist, a sort of reflection by our Lord on his person and his importance. We see first John the Baptist in prison. Recall that he was, as all the prophets, a man who didn't shrink back from calling a spade a spade. And he basically called the king and confronted him uh, on his sinfulness. And the king took offense at that and put him in prison. It was not uncommon for the prophets to have such a fate. And so in prison, he has certainly a lot, of time to t- a lot of time to think. And you kind of wonder if his question that he sends his disciples with isn't kind of a, a pondering in his own mind. You know, sitting there and he's, 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 you know, he presumably, you know, kind of knows that he was the one to prepare the way. And he's looking going, this is not what I expected. You know, I, I thought that there would be something more glorious. I thought the, the, the Christ would have manifested himself in a particular way. Here I am in prison, and what next? You know, and so you can almost kind of hear those ponderings in his heart as, you know, did I miss something? So he sends his disciples to the Christ as he hears about these works. Are you the Christ, or should we look for another? Jesus, as always, doesn't give a straight answer. Because straight answers are too easy. When we hear straight answers, we we simplify things and we we make something really complex and profound into a checkmark on a list. And the Lord knows this about us. So he doesn't say, yes, I'm the Christ, go tell John. 
He tells his disciples, he tells John's disciples, go tell John what you see and what you hear. And he proceeds to go down the list that echoes exactly what Isaiah the prophet said, what happened when the Christ came. The deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame are able to leap like stags. Uh, They have all these wonderful works that are happening, um, and the poor have the good news proclaimed. So all of the signs of the Christ are present. And in Jesus, you know, Jesus telling his disciples to go back and and to relate to John, to convey to John what they are seeing and what they're hearing. It's not just hearsay. It's not, well, you know, know, Jesus, he he said, yeah, I'm the Christ. So we got to take him at his word. It was, what did you see? Well, we saw everything that's supposed to happen when the Christ is coming. It's all happening. So draw the conclusion. Yes, he is the Christ. But then Jesus ends with a a rather striking and confusing line in his message to be given to John. He says, blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. Now, any other time we hear blessed are or blessed, usually it's in the plural. Blessed are they. Right? It's the Beatitudes, blessed are they, etc., etc., blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, etc. So it's always a, a, in the plural. But here, he says, blessed is the one. He's talking specifically about the person of John the Baptist, telling them to convey to John this message. Blessed are you, John, if you take no offense at me. And it seems as if it's Jesus' way of saying, John, I know that things are not as you expected. But indeed, I am the Christ. Don't be upset at these things. Don't be, you know, don't be confused at heart. Don't be angry because things have not unfolded as of what seem. And don't be angry because you will soon have to lay down your life for me. Don't take offense. Don't be upset with how things unfold. Rejoice because the Christ is here. The disciples go off to return to John to give him uh, all of the news that they have been told by our Lord, all the things that they have heard in the scene. But Jesus continues to talk about John to his disciples who are gathered around him still. He begins to ask them some questions. And we know that many of Jesus' disciples were also initially disciples of John the Baptist. We know that at least two of the apostles were there uh, that were disciples of John. And whenever Jesus came and received baptism, they, they switched camps because John rightly pointed them, Behold the Lamb of God. This is the one we've been waiting for. Follow him. And they went. Many of his disciples were followers of Jesus now. But Jesus asked the question, why did you go out to see John in the first place? Did you go out to see a reed swayed by the wind? In other words, did you go out to see someone who would be yes one day and no the next? Who would say one thing one day and whenever things got a little, a little difficult for them, they would shrink back from their teaching, from their opinion, from their thought, from their convictions, just based off of however the wind blows that day? No. You went out to see someone of firmness. You went out to see someone of great conviction, of great faith, of intensity, of firm purpose. Did you go out to see someone in fine clothes? Certainly not. Those people are in palaces. You went through the desert. There's a recognition that they weren't going out to find one who was consumed with the things of the world. John wore camel's hair and a rope around his, be- around his waist as a belt. 
and ate wild locusts and wild locusts and wild honey. He was not a man whom you could buy with a nice gift, whose opinion you could sway or whose teaching you could tweak a bit to one's own accord with a nice, a nice new coat. He wasn't concerned about the things of this world. And Jesus is pointing these things out. This is, this is not uh, a man of weakness. He is a man of intense faith, firm in his convictions, entirely dedicated to God. You went out to see a prophet, and more than a prophet. Indeed, he is the one to come, the, the one to prepare the way before the coming of the Christ. He's telling his disciples that, that John is an incredible, incredible man. That he has a unique place among, even among all the prophets. It would be enough for him to be a prophet, but he is more than a prophet. He's the one who prepares the way for the Christ. And he goes on and he says even something even more great about his person. He says, among those born of women, there has not been one greater than John the Baptist. There were some pretty great people in the Old Testament. Tons of them, in fact. Men and women of great faith, of great holiness. And yet Jesus is very clearly saying, John is the greatest of all of them. Because of this great place that he has as being the forerunner of the Christ. And then, Jesus says the most confusing thing. John is the greatest of everyone that's gone before. And yet, the least, the littlest one, the lowest one, the last in line in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And you have to know that the disciples were utterly confounded. They had no idea what that meant. And it's often still the case today. What does this mean? Jesus is explaining to us, to his disciples and to us, or reminding us, telling them, that with his coming, everything is different now. When Christ took on flesh, when he lived his 33 years in this earthly life, when he offered himself on the cross, was raised up from the dead, when he ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to us, to the church, to be able to live within our hearts, everything from that point forward is different. No matter what, it doesn't matter if you have faith, it doesn't matter who you are, the world is changed because of that event. But even more on a supernatural level, every one of you is greater than John the Baptist. Every one of you is greater than John the Baptist. And the reason? is the grace of Christ is alive within you. John and everyone else before him, they looked forward to the day that God would do these things. They looked forward to the day that the Lord would come among them. They looked forward to the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. And in Christ they are fulfilled. And Christ has taken on our flesh. He has become one of us. And in doing so, we are able to have the life of God in our soul. By virtue of your baptism, you are greater than the greatest man 
that ever lived before Jesus Christ because you were baptized. Think about that. Pope St. Leo the Great, one of the great doctors of the church, teacher of the church, he exhorted the Christian community in the early days, and he said, Christians, remember your dignity. Christians, remember your dignity. It was his call to the church to remember that they are not just as they were, but by the grace of baptism, by the grace of Jesus Christ alive in their soul, they are different. They are more blessed than anyone who ever came before. Are we holier in our lives than John the Baptist, less sinful than John the Baptist? I know I'm not less sinful than John the Baptist. He was perfect. He was holy, man, all throughout his life. I am a sinner, continuously. And yet, by God's grace, because God dwells in me by virtue of my baptism, the Holy Spirit is alive in me. I am greater than John the Baptist. And you are too. Sinners all. Greater than everything that came before. If you want proof of that, the fact that you are here is enough. In the Old Testament, the temple, the dwelling place of God, there was the place in the sanctuary. Right? They had a sanctuary here and there was a wall behind it. And there was a place inside the sanctuary. There was a very, uh, very special place, the Holy of Holies. We have one too. It's called the tabernacle. And in that place was the dwelling of God. The, the Jewish people, they understood that in the Holy of Holies, God dwelled there in a most mysterious way. One priest, one time a year, was able to go in and offer sacrifice in the presence of the Lord. But if you recall your stories, if you remember some of the Exodus stories and some of the other accounts, that in that room was the Ark of the Covenant. It was this large gold-plated box that traveled with the people out of Egypt to Israel. And that was the dwelling place of God. That, that box was a place where the Lord was among them. And if anyone touched it, they would die on the spot. There are multiple accounts of it. At one point, they were going down a, a kind of little rough terrain. And the ark started to shift a little. They had four men. They were carried on sticks. It started to shift a little. And one man, thinking in kindness tried to hold the ark up from being moved, from falling over. Done. Died on the spot. And yet you, brothers and sisters, you can come here and receive the flesh of God in the Eucharist. You can hold God in your hand, receive him in your tongue, allow him to come and to dwell in you, of old, if they touched the place where God dwelled, they died. You receive him in his flesh, and you still live. There is something greater than John the Baptist here, we could say. Christians, remember your dignity. Remember what God has done in your souls. Remember the goodness that God has worked within you and continues to work within you day after day after day. 
We are by no means perfect. But by God's grace, we are incredibly great in his kingdom. So let us place our trust in our Lord today. Let us indeed rejoice that he is near, that Christmas draws near, that our Lord and the Eucharist is near to us, but also that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, even more near than we can anticipate. So let us lift up our hearts, remember our dignity, rejoice.